right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is our Group of Five deep dive. I'm joined as always by Mike Ionello. I am Mike Calabrese, and we have made it all the way. We've traversed the, the tricky landscape of college football, but we're now here at Championship Week, which is incredibly exciting here in G5 lands, have five matchups that offer all kinds of intrigue, angles to play. We've left no stone left unturned here, really looking at the matchups that the game within the game, so to speak, that are going to play out on Saturday and Friday as well. Not having to wait all the way for that Saturday kickoff. Ainello, how do you feel now that we've gone through an entire season? And I'll also preface it by saying there were some players that we were hyping up all the way back in August. And one in particular, I think, uh, ended up validating our, our love and praise. Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi. I'll just I'll just say the name and then you respond. Bailey Zappi. Oh, he warms my soul. This has been a very fun year for us. You know, obviously first year doing this podcast, you know, our loyal listeners that have been with us from the start, I, I hope kind of get the same sense of like, these are our teams because we've been on them from the start. We've been on the Western, we, you know, we, we hyped up Bailey Zappi preseason. We loved UTSA, you know, the, the Fresno States we've talked about, you know, towards the end of the year, like I got on that old Dominion train and rode, rode them to hopefully a bowl game. We are on Brett McMurphy uh, bowl announcement watch. And if the Monarchs get screwed out of a bowl, I may have to go riot somewhere. So yeah, it's, it's been a really fun year. I think, you know, throughout the podcast, we've kind of adopted our, 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 our own children, children of the, of the G5 land. And, and hopefully our, our audience has kind of felt that along with us. For those of you that have been listening all season, we usually transition at this point into our G5 heroes of the week. But at this point, the coaching carousel is just, it's almost a bigger story than anything that's happening in college football and the domino effect of, you know, coaches leaving, leaving vacancies, guys from G5 land moving up to power program jobs, all of these things, Billy Napier, you know, chief among them right now, getting the UF job. So we want to do a segment that is focused on the G5 assistants that we believe really should be moving on up to a head coaching job of their own. Because as you mentioned, it's not just the players that we fall in love with. Some of these coaches just do an incredible job on a weekly basis and really make it easy for you to fall in love with a unit on a a particular team, whether that's offense or defense, or, you know, we'll even throw it out there on special teams. Whoever's coaching up Matt Ariza probably deserves a raise of some kind. So I'll kick it over to you, Ionello. Who is a G5 coach that you feel should be moving on up being able to, run a program himself now that he's done such a good job as an assistant. Yeah. Like you said, all the talk, you know, is about Napier and, and Luke fickle and Jamie Chadwell. And we know those guys are going to get gigs, but we want to shine some light on the assistants. Uh, I actually have a bunch of names written down that I, I'm thinking the first one's very obvious. Let's just kick it off with the most obvious name, 
it's Terry Malone. I mean, how are we not going to give Terry Malone some shine? That is the Bowling Green offensive coordinator who managed to muster up 28 points in one quarter with the Bowling Green offense after Scott Leffler got ejected, something Bowling Green hasn't done all year. So clearly he's be running his own show. Uh, but in all honesty, the biggest name out there for me is, is got to be Zach Kitley, the Western Kentucky offensive coordinator. Kitley was one of the organs harvested from that Houston Baptist offense along with Zappi and uh, Stearns, obviously. And, and, you know, the Houston Baptist offense was setting, you know, FBS records. Now he comes in FCS level, absolutely lights it up. I believe they're second in the entire country in scoring and total offense only behind Ohio State. So is one year enough to get him a gig? I don't know, but he definitely should be on some radar. So the first name author out there is definitely got to be Zach Kitley, the Western Kentucky offensive coordinator. I mean, if Cliff Kingsbury can go from getting fired at Texas Tech to being a head coach in the NFL, I don't think there's any reason that Kitley can't take just coaching up one side of the football and doing it really well, even for one year at the FBS level. Like there's there's got to be a program that is at the bottom of the barrel. I, I actually you know, was kind of looking through some of the teams that really struggled offensively, and Akron came to mind for me. I was like, oh, he'd be great for Akron. Apparently, they're getting Joe Moorhead. That, that sounds to me like some kind of like uh, NCAA 14, like, hey, what if I tried to turn around the worst team in the game? Like, is he on some kind of like weird in real life like challenge? Because the fact that he was the head coach at Mississippi State and has done a great job at Oregon and Penn State to go to Akron. I, I don't think that's official as of, as of yet. I, I don't want to go full sources McMurphy on this, but there was at least a little chatter that it was going to get done. That was surprising to me. I, I think that would be a nice landing spot for someone like him, you know, to move from Western Kentucky and kind of cut his teeth in the Mac. Not surprisingly, I love to give extra support, emotional support, you know, whatever I can do to, to pump the, the tires of defensive coordinators. I'm going to start with one of my favorites. I believe he was maybe a G5 hero of the week in September. Bradley Dale Pavito the UTEP defensive coordinator. Now this guy is already ready, I think, for a head coaching job because he's already been a head coach before at Northwestern State, go Demons. He coached in the SEC for so many years. He was at LSU, Kentucky, A&M. He won a national championship as a linebacker coach at LSU. He turned the UTEP defense into a top 30 defense legitimately. They were tremendous against the pass. And in the five years previous to him showing up, they finished 82nd average in terms of total defense. So the fact that you have a guy who in one year without, you know, some crazy transfer portals, pretty much the same roster, taking those kids, getting them top 30, really good against the pass. I think Pavito is someone who should get an opportunity. Maybe he can say in Conference USA that there's, there's going to be some jobs opening up there. He, he's someone that I think deserves all the all the love that he's clearly not getting because he's kind of a lifer coach. He's been around for so long, but I think it's time to, to move on and to run his own program again. You know, staying on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I have three defensive coordinators I'll throw out at you, all of whom were coaching this weekend, which is usually a good sign. You know, obviously Kurt, Kurt Maddox over at San Diego State, their whole team is their defense and punt God. So I think Kurt Maddox is definitely a name that that should be on some radars. Dale Jones, App State's defensive coordinator is another one. He's been there, I believe, only I believe this is only his second season, but App State's defense has been legit the last two years. And then Doug, Doug Belk. Uh, over at Houston. I think, you know, what this Houston defense has been able to do this season has been awesome. And, you know, they're very unique in that, like, you know, they, I think they're like second in the country. We'll talk about this game obviously later and getting pressure. They are very good at getting after the quarterback. 
And it's not, you know, he's very good at scheming it. They, they have kind of like a rover linebacker they use that's very unique. It works very well. Uh, I, I believe he's a Brawls finalist, isn't he? So, you know, those are those are three kind of DCs I'll throw out at you. is Kurt Maddox, San Diego State, Dale Jones, App State, and Doug Belk from Houston are kind of the three defensive coordinators I, I had circled. Yeah, Doug Belk ended up getting hosed. Uh, he wasn't a finalist. He was a semifinalist for, for the Broyles. Um, I, I do think that Dana Holgerson, he was interviewed in a bar, which is so Dana Holgerson. He dropped in a, a quick quote about how he was very well deserving of being a semifinalist, and he's clearly going to be a, a leading man at some point in the near future. Not surprised and uh, very happy and proud of Doug. It's a pretty special award. It's one I've been a part of in the past, and what that says is, is he's a future head coach, which I agree with. And when you look at his pedigree, he was a grad assistant at Alabama. He follows Holgerson from West Virginia, coaching up the quarterbacks, to, to Houston. And as you mentioned, this team is just incredible on the defensive side of the ball. You know, they're only allowing 56% completions. They're top 15 in sack and interception rate. They're even a little bit better against the run, 3.2 yards per carry, just over 100 yards per game. I think that he probably has one stepping stone left. Um, the buzz right now is that Billy Napier is coming hard after him to be the UF defensive coordinator. And being the Gators defensive coordinator is a great launching pad. I mean, you had Stoops, you had uh, Charlie Strong. It, it, it's been a clear pipeline to a very good power five job um, as a head coach. So I think it's probably going to take one more step for him, but he certainly was someone that I had circled and was interested to see where he would land in, in this cycle of the coaching carousel. Cause he's a tremendous coach and I, I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. What about major Applewhite getting another shot at it? Cause that South Alabama offense, I think was, was pretty good. And you can look at, you know, okay. They had Jake Bentley's, you know, 35 years old and, and Jalen Tolbert there. So they had talent, but he's a guy with, you know, he's the sexy name that everyone knows from, you know, playing quarterback. He's He's been a head coach. And I was looking back at those Houston teams like that he was head coach of weren't terrible. That He went seven and five and eight and five. So it's not like he was horrific. He really got fired because they lost two bowl games. But the fact that he's two and oh, making it to bowl games is pretty impressive. He also has that, you know, he spent 2019 and 2020 on the Alabama, you know, rehab for coaches. So he went through the Alabama spin cycle, which. Spending two years around Saban is is always going to be appealing to, I think, a lot of places. And I'll just mention this. Louisiana jobs open. Major Applewhite's from Baton Rouge. Don't be surprised if Major Applewhite gets a few calls. I think that's probably the most realistic that we've thrown out there. A lot of this is just giving the proper love to the He's the only one, anybody, would, any, any of our listeners, yeah. that's the first name they've heard of before. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And I agree. I think he's certainly going to be in the room and get interviewed for a handful of open jobs. And one thing I'm going to throw out there, because this is, it's very funny to me because it, I just, it seems as though these two players are constantly connected, but Logan Bonner is going to be playing in his last college game during bowl season. But do you know who just entered the transfer portal? And it would be hilarious if he made it to Utah State, Lane Hatcher. Lane Hatcher. So, Hatcher. you know <laughs> you know what, Utah State, just go ahead and get yourself two Arkansas State quarterbacks back to back and see if you can keep the good times rolling yeah I, i'm glad that you brought that name up because the utah state offense being so dynamic this year really came out of nowhere coming off a one and five season during the covid year all right it's it's time now we got a transition i i know we didn't come down with a, a formal name for this we got five title games here so we're going to go ahead and get five picks. We actually may have a bonus pick as well, but we're going to go through every single one of them try to give you the, the best options possible not necessarily 
saying that you should be parlaying these together or even putting them in a round robin, but we're going to put that in that format for you. So it is familiar, not doing the G5 underdog and best bets. As opposed to that, we're going to go through every single title game here. So let's start with the Conference USA title game. Conference USA. And I know this is difficult for you, Ionello. You've been carrying the water for both of these programs. There's probably a little more love on the personnel side with Western Kentucky and Bailey Zappi. But these teams already played earlier this season, a 52-46 shootout in which UTSA was on the, you know, the better side of that matchup. But what's interesting here is that Frank Harris is banged up. Sincere McCormick has been kind of embroiled in a bit of a slump leading up to this. They haven't been looking as dominant. You know, they were lucky to get by UAB. They end up getting beat up by North Texas, one of the most shocking G5 outcomes of the entire season. And because of that, you actually have Western Kentucky as the favorite here in the rematch. So where do you come down on the Conference USA title game? I know I already used the Sophie's Choice analogy a couple of weeks ago. But I got to go back to it. This is another one that's so tough for us. We love both of these teams. And, and, you know, I got a few chirps on Twitter. How could you pick against your beloved Roadrunners when I took UTEP? And that obviously didn't work. Look, I love UTSA. I absolutely adore this team. But I have to take Western Kentucky here. They are absolutely humming right now. And I would be a fool not to. I'm taking Western Kentucky minus one and a half here. You know, full disclosure, this is a win-win for me, which is what you want. I'm winning either way because I bet UTSA plus 350 to win the conference before the season. You can call me, you know, a, a wimp or, or whatever you want for, for hedging my bet, but I'm hedging it because I want to win-win because I love these teams so much that I want to be happy either way. Sue me. So I'm taking Western Kentucky here. But if I didn't have the future, I'd still bet Western Kentucky because, yes, you, you just mentioned, UTSA lost their undefeated season. They got smoked by North Texas. And yeah, Frank Harris did get hurt, but they were down pretty big before Harris left the game. So I don't think Harris was making a difference in that one. Western Kentucky finished the year winning seven straight games. You know, last week they went down 14. Funny, funny story. I was in Connecticut and, and set my dad up now that it's legal there. Set my dad up with DraftKings and I, I bullied him into basically making Western Kentucky's his first, you know, legal bet in, on mobile app. And then Marshall immediately goes up 14, nothing. And he's giving me the side eye. What does Western Kentucky do after that? They outscore him 53 to seven, just an absolute beatdown of Marshall who like mm. has statistically been, you know, basically one of the best teams in conference USA historically. So like, like we mentioned with, with Kitley, they finished second in conference and scoring second in total offense. They're first in success rate. Zappy hour, our boy, we love him. The zap God, 414 yards per game, 52 touchdowns. Uh, fun fact, Zappy has 52 touchdowns right now through the regular season, which obviously led the country. He has averaged 4.3 touchdowns per game. He has two games left. If he throws four touchdowns in each of those two games, which he has done in four of the last five games, he'll tie Joe Burrow for the most in college football history. He only needs six touchdowns to tie our, our G5 lifetime god, Colt Brennan. So Bailey Zappi is having a historical season that we have never seen in college football before and he has a chance to go down as the all-time leading touchdowns in college football history and i'm not going to bet against that you know, western kentucky's their last loss was to utsa like you said that game the 52 46 shootout zappy threw for 523 yards and five touchdowns and yes frank harris was able to match him he had 349 yards six touchdowns but you said harris is harris is banged up and the biggest area this uta struggles is defending the pass zappy torched them we just said that they rank 62 in the country in pass success, 66 at defending the big play, 99th in coverage grade. 
Jared Stearns had 16 catches, 195 yards, and two touchdowns against this meet meet secondary. And everything's changed for Western Kentucky since that loss. Since that game, they're allowing just 19 yards per game. They have not allowed more than 21 points in seven games since that loss. They have forced 22 turnovers and allowed just 16 touchdowns over that stretch. So I don't know if you're a wrestling fan, but, you know, at WrestleMania 24, when Shawn Michaels says, I'm sorry, I love you, before he hit Ric Flair with the sweet chin music to send him, send him into retirement, that's what I'm doing to UTSA. I'm sorry, I love you. Give me the Hilltoppers. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the pride of the Commonwealth. I love it. I think it's the right play. This line that's been set by odds makers is sending a message that there is real concern about this UTSA offense, both with the injury to Frank Harris and also just the ineffective play on the ground, which is a little bit surprising because really coming into this year, it was sincere McCormick and then a bunch of parts thrown together. He was the focal point of the entire offense. So the fact that he is not crushing teams on the ground, I think does make this difficult to envision them keeping up in, in what should be a shootout. Speaking of shootouts, let's head over to the MAC Conference Championship game. The Mid-American Conference. Max yourself. Who's the MAC? So I love Kent State NIU over 74 and a half. I brought this up, I believe, last week or maybe two weeks ago. Kent State, if you remove the 38-0 shutout of Akron, because Akron's trash, if you look at their last six games, 86, 95, 61, 99, 84, 95, those are the total points in those six games, averaging 86 and a half points per game. Then when you dive a little bit deeper into how are they getting this done, it's pretty simple. Kent State leads the nation in plays of 40 yards or more with 23, nearly two per game. So in terms of being explosive, they get it done on the ground, they get it done through the air. And then when you flip it around, defensively, they check in at 84th in the nation of allowing plays of 30 yards or more. So they are happy to play fast, to go ahead and strike quick and to get those big explosive plays, and they give them up all over the place. And when you look at Northern Illinois in particular, what do they do? They are the nation's best big run play offense, reeling off 15 runs of 30 yards or more this season. Kent State, 87th in allowing runs of 30 yards or more. So every time you look to, to try to pair you know, a strength versus a weakness, it's there in this particular game. Then you get into pace. Kent State loves to play at that, that hyper speed, 10th in place per game at nearly 80 per game. NIU is not the fastest team, but they don't certainly don't play at a snail's pace. Uh, only nine plays behind that at 71 per game. The last time they played a total shootout, 52-47 Kent. And when you look at the you know, field conditions, weather conditions. It's in, it's inside at Ford field, no weather concerns whatsoever. So I'm going to go ahead here. I, I probably would lean to Northern Illinois in this game. Now that's uh, Rocky Lombardi has been cleared. Thomas Hammock, their head coach indicated that he's both healthy and fresh because they sat him in, in the finale and Tyrese Ritchie. This is another thing that it won't impact how I play this, but there is now a chance that he's going to play. Just give them a little more oomph on the perimeter offensively. So everything here is trending over over 74 and a half in my opinion my power rankings actually had this at 80 so i'll go ahead and and take advantage of nearly five and a half points of value what do you think about this yeah i agree i totally agree i love the over here like you said it was 52 47 the first time you know kent state outgained 
uh, Northern Illinois, 682 to 663. And, and, you know, for those of you who listened for, throughout the whole year, I, I really made two, I sewered two guys our first show. One of them was Kenny Pickett. Hand up. I was wrong. Kenny Pickett's awesome. Kenny Pickett's probably going to be in New York. He's probably going to be a Heisman finalist. So, Kenny, I apologize. You're very good, and you don't belong in the MAC. But Rocky Lombardi does, and he stinks. And I said that, and he still <laughs> and he still stinks. That being said, he torched this Kent State offense. 532 yards and three touchdowns. It was the best game of Rocky Lombardi's career. So that kind of shows you how bad the Kent State defense is. And like you said, pace is everything here. This Kent State fast flash offense, third in the country in place per minute. And what makes them so what makes them give up points so much is like you said. They score immediately. They get the ball. They go full speed. They pick up big plays. They score immediately. Then what do they do? They have to kick off, and they are horrific at kicking the ball off. They average 43.9 yards per kick. What that means is they can start at the 50, and they can't kick it to the end zone. They have just six touchbacks all season. For comparison, our boy Matariza, the punt god, has 53 touchbacks, and that offense doesn't score. (laughs) So he's not even kicking off that much. They're also horrible at punting. So when they don't score, they average 36 yards per punt, 36 yards. So if they don't score, Kent State's getting the ball basically in field goal range. And when they do score, they kick it off and Kent State's going to have the ball at midfield. So, or Northern Illinois, I mean, it's going to have the ball at midfield. So I love that because they kick, they score, then they give the ball at the 50, the other team scores and so on and so forth. Lather, rinse, repeat. I love the over. Um, I actually disagree. I do lean Kent State um, just because this Northern Illinois defense is also atrocious. I'm probably not going to play it because Northern Illinois, it's, they're one of those teams where like, you look at all of their games, beat Georgia Tech by one. They're outgained by 130 yards. They wanted a two-point conversion. Beat Eastern Michigan by seven, outgained by 50 yards. Beat Toledo by two, made five field goals, winning one with 26 seconds left. They beat Bowling Green by eight. They were outgained by Bowling Green. Beat Central Michigan by one because Central Michigan fumbled the field goal. You know, beat Ball State by two, game-winning field goal as time expired. Beat Buffalo in overtime because Buffalo fumbled on the one-yard line going in. So, you know, they're not a good team, but and every, like, statistic and metric says Kent State's better, but this rabbit out of the hat thing scares me. They keep doing it. At some point, they're going to stop, but I'm not going to bet that they will here. Um, so that, you know, I don't want to bet against this Northern Illinois voodoo. They're basically, you know, a Mac Iowa, except their defense is atrocious. <laughs> so... I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to stand in front of the, the rabbit's foot that's going on over there, but I definitely love the over because their defense stinks. Kent State's, you know, runs at a wicked pace and they can score on anybody. So yeah, give me the over here too. Yeah. The, the lucky rabbit's foot horseshoe, whatever you want to call it, they've been in a lot of close games. And I, I do think that that has a positive effect in terms of nothing's really going to scare them away. One other note I'll make in this 74 and a half. I also think there's going to be value if for whatever reason, if this gets off to a slow start, because both of these teams are capable of combining for 35 points in a quarter. And because of the pace and because of the explosive plays that they give and uh, that they get and allow, I think if there's an opportunity where you see, you know, the first seven or eight minutes, there's, you know, only a field goal on the board or zero points. You see that number really drop down. I I don't give out this recommendation all that often, but it was certainly something I would even double down Mm -hmm. on a a live over. All right. Let us now turn to the Sunbelt championship game. The Sunbelt conference, the fun belt. 
Don't let the latest come between you and the belt. This one's interesting because Louisiana just absolutely throttled App State in their first meeting. But now Billy Napier is officially the head coach at Florida or, you know, at least one foot out the door. So what does that mean now for this team motivationally? It's been a Louisiana team that's won so many games over the last two years. They're a veteran team. So are they able to circle the wagons just on a personal level and say, you know, forget about Napier. He took a better opportunity, whatever, as opposed to the, the Notre Dame situation is fascinating to me because not that Brian Kelly was winning any popularity contest to begin with, but it's clear that they hate the guy's guts and the fact that that's the way it worked out. I think there's a little bit of a difference in terms of like, obviously Napier was not going to be a lifer at Louisiana. And even though it's an emotional thing and the kids had played for him for so long, I think there's got to be a little bit of human nature to understand, like, you don't turn down the Florida job. To, to coach forever at Louisiana. But with all that being said, how do you see this game playing out? Do you think there's an edge between these two in the rematch? Yeah, I agree with you where I think it's a totally different situation. Uh, for example, you know, here's, here's a free bet for you guys. If Notre Dame somehow sneaks into the playoffs, especially if they're not facing Georgia, I am hammering Notre Dame. because I think they're pissed. The Billy Napier situation is different because, like, like, he's not one five other. He officially was announced as the Florida head coach like he that's official but he's there he's coaching so it's like weird it's like you broke up it's like you get divorced but you still have to finish out your lease and like your wife's just laying in the house and you're like so how's your day going oh yeah good okay so I think it's weird I think his you know his mind's not there you know it's it's natural just to start you know I'm sure he's calling Anthony Richardson begging him not to transfer like he probably has other things going on you know whether he'll admit it or not and I just think App State's a better team anyway. You know, like there's only been this uh, Sunbelt Championship since 2018 uh, with last year being canceled. All three Sunbelt Championships have been App State versus Louisiana. App State's beaten the Cajuns in 2018 and 2019. They're eight and two against Louisiana in program history. As you mentioned, Louisiana smoked them 41-13 on October 12th. But Cameron Peoples didn't play. And he's really their, their biggest weapon. And, and him and Nate Noel are that, you know, dynamic one-two punch. Both of them average over five yards per carry, 75 yards per game. Peoples leads the entire conference with 13 touchdowns, despite playing just 10 games. And yeah, App State was held to just 78 yards on 29 carries, where Louisiana rushed for 246 yards and five touchdowns. But that's not really what these teams have been the whole season. I think that was kind of an outlier and just a case of, you know, one team showing up, the other laying a dud. Throughout the year, Louisiana was 49th in rush defense and 108th in line yards. The App State defense is eighth in rushing success and second in line yards on defense. So the App State's defense has been way better against the run. They just got burnt really that one game. Louisiana is 107th in tackling. Mountaineers are 10th. The biggest issue for App State this year is, you know, they had four turnovers in that game, two fumbles, two Chase Bryce interceptions, which is obviously a huge issue for Bryce. He has 10 interceptions this year on 12 turnover-worthy plays. Whereas Levi Lewis also has 12 turnover really plays, but he just has four interceptions. So he has had a little bit of, you know, drop picks, a little bit of luck there. And then on the flip side, Lewis has just 16 big time throws. Chase Bryce is 26. Bryce actually is great as the second best passer in the conference behind Grayson McCall. So I definitely, you know, I don't like Chase Bryce, but he's probably the better quarterback for, than Levi Lewis, especially, you know, Lewis isn't the type of quarterback where if they're down, he's going to throw them back into the game where Chase Bryce will, you know, he, he may throw, throw the, I'm sure he'll throw a pick or two, but he also can have them come back if they need to. 
and, and Louisiana just doesn't have, you know, they don't have a lot of weapons. You know, they don't have a single player that's averaging more than 30 receiving yards or running back over 70 yards. And in these big games, you know, I'm someone who likes to, I want a player that I think is going to take over this game. I want, you know, those championship moments. And who's going to do that on Louisiana? App State has two backs over 70 yards. They have three receivers averaging over 50 yards per game. Corey Sutton is a stud. I also want to give a special shout out to Thomas Hennigan, who has been there forever. In fact, he has made 63 career starts for App State. That is the most in college football history at any position. He shattered the record. He broke, I think it was 58. He broke it uh, when they played Coastal like six weeks ago. So he has played every single game in his five years at App State. He has started every game but one when he was very injured, but he did come in and play a little bit. So he has started every game in five years. He's an absolute workhorse. And as I mentioned, this App State team knows how to win. There are 28 seniors on this team. 14 of them are super seniors. All of them are 2-0 in conference title games. Super seniors have a chance to win their fourth conference title. So I just love the experience of them. I love this. I just think the App State team is better. And then you throw in the Billy Napier, you know, like you said, one foot out the door. I just think that, you know, everything lines up here for App State to kind of get, and you have the revenge factor of how many times you think they're watching the clip of, you know, Louisiana running it all over them. This very good defense. I just think it all kind of adds up for me to love App State in this spot. It's going to have you go through a little thought experiment with me. So I want you to close your eyes. It's the fourth quarter. It is a low scoring game. Let's say it's like 17, 17 chase Bryce has the football and he he's getting the play from the sideline. He's, he's running, you know, to midfield to get under center. How do you feel emotionally about chase Bryce having your own money in his hands and saying, don't worry, I got this. I'm Chase Bryce. I got this. How, how does that make you feel? What does that evoke for you? I don't love it. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think, let's put it this way. If, if, if Levi Lewis needs to lead a game-winning drive, I think they're going to throw incomplete passes and turn it over on downs. Okay. Chase Bryce and, 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 and I, I think that's Bryce, fair. I think that's absolutely fair because all the Bryce numbers is either you throwing a touchdown up, or a pick six. All the numbers you brought up about tackling, about run defense, about line success, all of that. I, I think it it doesn't take that much to talk yourself into a realization that it may have been an apparition, App State's defensive performance in that first matchup. And I will say, Cameron Peoples is not only a productive running back, I think he just gives the whole App State offense a different edge. He's a guy who likes to initiate contact. He's a guy who can wear down teams. And I do think, you know, him being a a big part of this game plan does take even more pressure off of Chase Bryce, where really a game like this, it does come down to turnovers. You know, if they can get to a a zero margin or a plus margin in this game, as opposed to their, their first performance, I do think that that takes a lot of the pressure off of Chase Bryce's shoulders. Yeah, I think he takes pressure off Noel, too. I think having them be that one-two punch, that thunder-lightning kind of backfield, you, you saw the, the two games you know, he missed, Noel was not as effective. So I think having both of them in there, given the motivation angle, given you know Napier, yeah, I, I think App State bounces back here. Like I said, these super seniors, this is going to be their fourth conference title. They know how to do it. They know how to step up in these big games, and, and I just trust them more, to be honest with you. All right, we are now going to turn our eyes to the Mountain West Conference Championship game. The Mountain West Conference. 
And the headliner here, obviously, is the punt god. It is Matt Ariza. Shout out to Mrs. Ariza, his mother, on social media. She does a great job of making sure to repost every single positive thing that is written about her son. And we've been a part of that. We were really one of the early adopters of the awesomeness of San Diego State's punter and kicker and kickoff specialist. He does it all for them. This game, though, to be totally honest, I, I don't know if anyone could hear. It does sound like I have the flu. I do have the flu. I can't smell or taste anything, which is a good thing because this game stinks. At least in my opinion, <laughs> the way it's going to play out is going to be just not appetizing whatsoever. Because really, what's probably going to happen in this one is San Diego State is going to win like 20 to 13 or 19 to 12. Like some score that is just not easy to figure out, you know, after the fact how it was actually reached. Because San Diego State is a defense that not only takes away the running game to start, they're so physical that they take you out of what you're doing. And this Utah State offense, Logan Bonner is, he's kind of like that, that rec league basketball player who's got all the extra armbands and, you know, elbow pads and knee pads, because the guy's been banged up a lot this year. He's had multiple limp offs. Their backup quarterback is now officially on the shelf. So if he does get hurt, they have no one to turn to in this game. And then when you look at, the game within the game here, Utah State, you know, butters their bread on the big play, particularly through the air. They're top 30 in yards per attempt. They like to, to score quick and hit those big plays to Tompkins. And in this particular game, San Diego State, even though they're better against the run, they just don't give up the big play through the air. When you look at their um, opponents are only hitting 6.1 yards per attempt, which is seventh nationally. It doesn't need to get all that much more complicated. So instead of me being emotionally tied up in how much I love the San Diego State defense and how much I hate the San Diego State offense, I'm going to play the team total for Utah State under 22 and a half. Really, the, the key number there for me was three touchdowns. So the fact that it's above that, I think, is a gift. I think this is a Utah State team that we've been, you know, kind of carrying their story throughout the season. Just a great turnaround to go from one and five to the, the conference championship game is great work by Blake Anderson. The offense has really come on. David, uh, I, I will say their their offense in general went from having no identity last year to being one of the most dynamic passing attacks. But the San Diego State defense is special. Kurt Maddox is going to cook up a great game plan here. And I think that they're going to put a lot of pressure on Logan Bonner. And because of that, three touchdowns, I think, is just a bridge too far. So what do you think about that play? Not necessarily to, to punt on this, you know, this game as a whole. You know, uh-huh. some, so something in there for Ariza. But really, this is the only one that was appealing to me because I've been on the side of San Diego State multiple times this season. And I've never had the passion play of being so excited when their defense is on the field and just so fearful when their offense is on the field. San Diego State is one of those half teams that makes Iowa's offense look dynamic. I actually wrote down that I'd leaned under 50, but I really probably won't play this game. We've become the official podcast of Mountain West Mothers, um, so I feel bad not having a play on, on our boy punt god. Like you said, I can never get a feel for the San Diego State team because I just their offense is so bad that you, you watch them and you – you know, whether you're watching them or reading the box score, you're like, how has this team ever won a game? The perfect way to sum it up, too, is, you know, you're, if you're on Twitter or listening to podcasts or watching shows or whatever, you know, you'll hear people talk like, you know, Kenny Pickett had the flu and it missed practice. That's a huge story. Frank Harris, everyone's tracking his Frank Harris going to play. You know, trailer had to come out and say he, he is playing. We don't know who San Diego State's quarterback's going to be. And literally nobody cares. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> it's like, yes. You could throw out a mop and bucket and it's like, who cares? Just just 
get off the field as fast as possible so Ariza can pin him deep. That's their goal of their offense. Yeah, Brookshire's, you know, he started at the beginning of the season and then got hurt. And then Johnson came in and Brookshire came back and then he stunk. So they benched him and Johnson came back and he stinks too. And then Johnson gets hurt last week. Brookshire comes in and uh, he did actually look pretty good last week. But like I said, it doesn't matter who their quarterback is. They, they both have a passing grade in the low 60s. They rank 11th and 12th in the Mountain West for all quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks. They've combined for 14 big-time throws, 15 turnover-worthy plays. So this isn't an offense you really want to have anything to do with. And yeah, Utah State's offense has been very good. But the one area of concern is they're pretty one-dimensional, and that is a problem against an elite defense like the San Diego State like you said, the, the their number one goal, game plan is stop the run. They're second in the country at defending the run. Well, Utah State's 118th in rushing success, 106th in line yards. You know, they may be held for under 50 rushing yards. And that's, you know, putting a lot of pressure on Logan Bonner, who, yeah, he's been great. And, and you know, Tompkins is electric. He actually leads the country in receiving yards. He passed Stearns. He has, he has four more yards than Stearns in our G5 battle for the, the nation's leading receiver, neither of which are Belenikoff Trophy Award winners, obviously, because this place is a joke. But the San Jose defense can keep him in check. They're 10th against the pass. They have two really, really good cornerbacks in Taylor Hawkins and Trenton Thompson. So I agree with you. I, I think I, I lean the under here. I'm also fine with the Utah State team total under because I think, you know, they both probably hit. Utah State does play fast, but San Diego State's 114th in plays per minute. They're going to run the ball. They, they're, they're the type of team that wants to go three and out. They want to go three and out to let the punt god pin it at the five. So, you know what, how about this? Here's, here's my official play. Find any sort of prop on Matariza. Matariza punts inside the 10 over three and a half. Take that. All right, we're going to turn now to the AAC title game. The AAC. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. And this is probably my top play on the board for the weekends under 53 and a half between Cincy and Houston. And I know I'm just going to throw out my rationale here and I want you to respond to it in real time. So you can watch Cincy play. You don't even need to look at the stats and you can see how dominant they are in defense. But if you are interested in the stats, top 10 scoring defense, total defense, yards per play allowed, opponent completion percentage, yards per attempt, it goes on and on and on. Now, when you switch over to the Houston defense, they're incredibly disruptive. Top 15 in sack percentage and interception percentage, nearly seven and a half tackles for loss per game. So they're living in opponents' backfields. They're fantastic against the run, and they were never burned this entire season by a dual-threat quarterback. And Desmond Ritter, depending on you know what you think of him as a runner, he has had some explosive games this year. And when he gets into the read option game, he is able to burn teams, particularly in the red zone. And I'm glad that the red zone has come up because – Both teams are top 15 in red zone defense in terms of scoring percentage allowed. And that's really the big thing here. When you're looking for a total in that 45 to 55 point range, it really comes down to are those red zone opportunities cashed in? Are they cashed in as field goals or touchdowns? Can the other team take the ball away? And the last part of this for me, having watched a lot of Cincinnati football this year, when they had those quote unquote big games, you know, this, their non-conference schedule boiled down to Indiana, who was tremendous last season. And there was hope this year that they would be a, a great pelt to put on the wall for them against Indiana and against Notre Dame, zero points in the first quarter of both games. And you saw Desmond Ritter play really tight, bouncing passes, you know, having some issues with the line of scrimmage, a lot of false starts. 
They just didn't look confident offensively. Their defense always comes to play. They have superstars at all three levels. But offensively, it's clear to me that Desmond Ritter sometimes, not necessarily that the stage is too big, but I think he presses a little too much. And then finally, the last stat I want to throw out there, Houston has been playing really well in the last two months on offense. Clayton Toon has taken it to the next level. But here's the thing. They haven't faced a top 40 defense all season. And the best defense they faced in terms of total defense was Navy, and they were 41st. Every other team outside of that, 60th or worse. I think it's going to be a total shell shock situation going up against the Cincinnati defense that can pl- just line up and just play man defense on the perimeter. They get into the backfield. They're, they're going to put pressure on tune to make plays happen. And when the ball's in the air, they take it away. Sauce Gardner is playing his way into a top 15 NFL draft selection. So I think both of these teams are in for a world of hurt when they have the football. And because of that 53 and a half, I'm, I'm all about the under here. I actually had it at 48 and a half in my power rankings. So to go over that key number of seven touchdowns is, is, is a nice get for me. I love this one. This is my play of the week. Yeah, I, I totally love it. And, and just, you know, for, for people, anyone writing, writing down our plays here, you know, obviously we're going to count this. We're going to count, you know, Breeze's pick as our official play for the, the what are we calling it? The G5, Conference 5, High 5. Uh, yeah, that, but that, throw, that sounds right. But to, just to throw out a little bonus play, uh, one that I'm playing, and I actually think very much correlates with your play is I'm taking Houston plus 10 and a half, because as you mentioned, this Cincinnati defense is elite. You know, they get a ton of headlines. They have, you know, two studs in, in Gardner and Bryant. They're 13th in the country in success rate. Houston's eighth, you know, or Houston, no, they're, they're 13th in the country success rate and eighth in yards per play. Houston is fourth in success rate and sixth in yards per play. So They've been better. And like I said, Gardner and Brian are awesome. They both are great as top 15 corners in the country per PFF. Well, Houston corner Marcus Jones is third. He's tied for third with Roger McCreary at Auburn, who is a stud. So, and, and they're actually kind of different where like, Houston's strength definitely is more on the back end. It's it, or Cincinnati, I mean, their strength is more on the back end, more on the coverage side of it. But what makes Houston so good against the pass, as you mentioned, is that front seven is so good. They are uh, second in the entire country in passing success. They are averaging three and, a half, three and a half sacks per game, over seven tackles per loss. They average 23 quarterback pressures per game. And they do it from every angle, which is what makes them so dangerous. You know, they're not this, you know, Aiden Hutchinson pin his ears back or Kayvon Thibodeau. You know, they have DeAnthony Jones and David Anini on the outside. Both of them are absolute monsters. And then on the inside, they have Logan Hall and Latrell Bankston who come up the middle. And then I mentioned it when I was talking about the uh, defensive coordinator. They have this guy, Derek Parrish, who they move all over the field. He, he plays defensive end. He, he plays linebacker. He plays fullback on offense. He just – he roams the field. Uh, he has seven sacks this year. So their, their front seven is so good, and they're so dangerous. They're seventh in line yards. They're fourth at creating havoc. And the biggest area of weakness on the Cincinnati team is their offensive line. They're just 82nd in pass blocking. They're 46th in line yards. And you mentioned, you know, Ritter, who, you know, he gets a lot of love and maybe ends up in New York. I know Colin Wilson has that that fat ticket on him, so I'm sure he's hoping it. And, yeah, Ritter's definitely more dangerous with his legs and has been effective running this year. But when you look at them passing, Clayton Toon has 26 touchdowns and eight interceptions this year. Desmond Ritter has 27 touchdowns and eight interceptions. So they're, they're pretty much a wash. Toon has a higher completion percentage. And Clayton Toon is great as a 91.7 passer grade at PFF. 
Ritter's 88.4. So, you know, you could argue Toon has been the better passer this year. And uh, yeah, the, the competition has been a little bit worse for Houston. Um, but we've seen it over the past couple of weeks where we're, we're waiting for Cincinnati. I think it's very clear this Cincinnati team is not as good as last year. So I think anyone that watched both of them would say that they're not as good. And you're probably going to get in the playoff. I hope they get into the playoff. I do. But they haven't made that dominant statement we'd expect from, you know, the G5 God who's just pummeling their, you know, the problem with having weaker competition is you have to beat the brakes off them. And they haven't. They beat Navy by seven. They beat Tulane by 19. They beat Tulsa by eight. They beat South Florida, who's horrific, by 17. You know, they did look good against SMU and ECU late in the year. But they just haven't been able to pull away. And now we're supposed to, they're going to beat, you know, a much better than all of those teams, Houston team, by more than 10 and a half. And then there's the big elephant in the room. We talked about Billy Napier. Look, we've all, we, I'm sure we've all had these situations, maybe in, in high school, where, you know, you're, you're dating this girl because she's cute and, and she's in your homeroom. So, you know, you're always around her. You, you become good friends with her. And she's just, you know, she's always there and you hang out with her all the time and you're dating her. But then the hot chick you've always had a crush on suddenly becomes single. And yeah, you're still loyal, but you know your buddy's texting you, hey man, you see who's single? And you're like, yeah, I, I did see that. I noticed her Instagram's clear. Scared money don't make money, you know? I'm just saying, Luke Fickle has long said that he would leave Cincinnati for Notre Dame. Like, you know, it's Notre Dame, Ohio State, you know, Penn State are kind of his jobs. Notre Dame's open. So just to be clear, what would Notre Dame's like, you know, thirst trap on Instagram be? What exactly are they sending him to get him all hot and bothered before kickoff of this game? Yeah, probably, you know, probably you know, <laughs> touchdown, touchdown Jesus, probably clips of Rudy. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't going to never happen. You know, don't be shocked if if he got a text from the, you know, Notre Dame AD, like, you up? So I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I think I think Luke Fickle got a couple texts. Like, you see who's single now? He knows. He knows who's single. Like I said, most of this comes down to on the field. But I also like having that little extra little extra, you know, distraction thrown into that mix, which I do think is the case. Well, that will do it for our group of five championship week picks. I'm glad that we could paint a, a very, very detailed and thorough and sexually confusing picture there for the coaching carousel <laughs> down the stretch. But to go ahead and give a quick summary of all of our picks in the Conference USA championship game, we like Western Kentucky minus two and a half. In the MAC championship game between Kent and Miami, we like over 74 and a half. In the Sunbelt Championship, we like Appalachian State minus three. In the Mountain West Championship, we like the Utah State team total under 22 and a half. And for our official pick in the AAC title game, we like under 53. And as a bonus pick, we also like Houston plus 10 and a half in that AAC title game. Now, for our audience, we are going to be back in two weeks with a bowl, bonanza, blowout, everything G5 related. We're going to go through and touch every single game, and hopefully that includes Old Dominion because the Monarchs certainly deserve it. We'll probably hammer the Monarchs. Yeah, we'll just have a a five to ten. We'll call it a 30-minute segment just on Old Dominion football. (laughs) But we'll be sure to get into every single matchup 
bowl season is one of my favorites of the entire year. Nothing's better than a, a 2 p.m. Tuesday kickoff in that weird, murky you know, time of year between Christmas and New Year's where nobody knows what day of the week it is. I love it. I love all those games, so I can't wait to see what these matchups are, and we'll be giving you gambling angles on every single one of them. For Mike Ionello, I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been the Group of Five Deep Dive under the Big Bets on Campus banner.